that's what happens a lot of times when people are being interviewed by FBI agents. Agents are actually looking for those micro expressions, fear, anger, disgust, surprise, contempt, sadness, happiness uh, are, are the seven micro expressions. Welcome to the Fueling Deals Podcast, the podcast that teaches how to accelerate your business growth through all types of deals. It's time to fuel up, so buckle in with your host, Corey Kupfer. There are only two ways to grow your business, organically through sales and marketing and providing great products and services, and inorganically through deals. Too many companies focus only on the first way, organic growth. Welcome to the podcast, which will help accelerate your business growth inorganically. My guests are a huge variety of deal makers and experts on all types of deals who have personal experience that can help you grow, get clear, learn best practices, and avoid mistakes. We discuss everything from large, complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My guest today is Greg Williams. With the richness of 30-plus years of negotiating and reading body language experience, Greg Williams is an accomplished author, speaker, trainer, coach, and recognized worldwide for his knowledge and insights. He is known as the master negotiator and body language expert. As a Harvard-trained negotiator and TV news contributor, Greg is often requested to appear on TV to critique the meaning and degree of truthfulness concealed in the negotiating strategies and hidden body language gestures of politicians, entertainers, and others in the news. Greg's also an author. He's got seven books. Listen, I, I've written one book on negotiating, so I know, I know what that took. So for somebody to have seven books on negotiating, a topic uh, that I am passionate about and what you, one which is crucial, crucial, crucial in doing deals, is, uh, it's so exciting for me to have Greg on the program. Greg, welcome. Thank you, Corey. I appreciate it. And thank you for the introduction. <laughs> yeah, no. Hey, listen. You know, you uh, you are an accomplished guy, and and uh, and and I have uh, you know I've spent uh, I've had the pleasure of spending some time with some of the I mean, talk about Harvard. I you know I I spent some time with William with, with uh, William Yuri in Israel a couple of years ago on his uh, Abraham path, and you know we walked through the uh, uh, the Palestinian territories for a week together. Uh, you know, with uh, just about fifteen other people, and. Uh, you know, uh, what a pleasure to, you know, to, to spend time with any of the masters of negotiating. Uh, so it's great to have you on the show. Well, I appreciate that. Um, so, Greg, before we get into uh, all that you uh, are going to teach us about negotiating and specifically about reading body language uh, and your business and what you do, I want to take you back. So when you were a little kid growing up, what did you want to be? Because uh, I might be wrong, but my guess is it might not have been a negotiating expert and speaker. Well, you're actually right about that, Corey. As a matter of fact, when I was a little boy, what I thought I was going to become was a professional baseball player. I was uh, an extremely good baseball player, and no one could have told me that I would not someday in the major leagues. Uh, <laughs> but hey, what can you say? Man plans, God laughs, you know, type of thing. So, uh, so was it, was it, uh, at what point was it high school, college? Whatever, at what point did you realize that dream was not going to uh, come into being? Well, I actually tried out for several major league teams wow. uh, as I progressed through my, let's say, uh, junior years of life. And uh, when I wasn't really chosen by any of them, I started to think, wait a minute, okay, so maybe this is not going to happen. But fortunately enough, one of the things I had always been astute at was negotiations. And it came from the time I was a little boy. And when I say a little boy, I mean when I was four, five, six years old. I used to watch my mother 
negotiate for everything, Corey. And it came to a point where I would say to her, Mom, you're always asking people to lower their price or give you a better deal. It's embarrassing. And she said, well, understand something. The more of your money that you save as a result of being able to negotiate, the more of it you will have to do other things that you wish to do with it. And truth be known, my motto, you're always negotiating, actually came from her. Oh, I, I love that. You and I are such kindred spirits because, uh, you know, one of the things that I say uh, in my intro is, is that uh, I've been professionally negotiating for over 30 years, but if you ask my mother, I've been negotiating since I could talk. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> so That's you and I nice. definitely aligned. Um, so, uh, so what would you consider to uh, have been your first business, real business, however you describe that? Uh, my real business, okay. <laughs> I was a shoe shop boy, literally. Uh, and when I say uh, a shoe shop boy, I'm tying it into negotiations because at the time I was maybe five, six, seven years old. Now, back then, you didn't have to worry about your kids being snatched or anything of that nature. Uh, but what that endeavor taught me was how to communicate with people. And I learned skills then as far as being able to understand based on someone's movement, based on how I might be able to alter their mood by not only recognizing what they may have been feeling at that time, but altering it if it wasn't a pleasant experience that they were encountering. And those are aspects of being able to negotiate that you have to be very mindful of because as you are able to not only perceive someone's perspective, you're able to better alter it to the degree that it may suit the outcome that you're seeking in a negotiation. So, Shushan boy, yes, very young age. Then as I progressed through life, I worked in different corporate environments, which, were, which was actually my plan to learn more about the negotiation process as I climbed higher in corporate America and then eventually start my own business. Now, to your question, I actually started my own business in 1993. It came about as a result of the last corporation I worked for, I actually had the highest margins in the company. And the president actually said to me, what are you doing differently than all of the other senior members of the staff that are that's allowing you to have these higher margins? And I, I thought about it for a moment. And I said, hmm, I guess I'm just negotiating better. Now, notice I said I thought about it for a moment because negotiation tactic strategies had become innate in me mm. by that time period. So Long answer to a short question. 1993 was when I actually first started my real business, as it were. I love, you know, that last point you made, there's this phrase that I love, and it's a phrase that I might have originally heard from Bob Proctor, or, but, you know, I don't know they originated, but this concept of an unconscious competent, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody who is, has mastery in something, but, but, but really has no conscious idea of how they do it. Mm -hmm. uh -oh. And, you know, a lot of companies, whether it's on sales or negotiating or whatever, yeah, they look to their top people and they say, we need to figure out what they're doing so we can get everybody else to do it. And a lot of times they don't, they don't know how to explain it. And frankly, uh, you know, I sort of felt that way about myself for a while. And I think, you know, and I'm curious about your journey, right, as you delved in, because now, you know, you've written books on it, you speak on it, you train on it. So obviously you need to break it down and be able to teach it to people. So what, you know, uh, I guess at some point, if it was somewhat unconscious, you had to be, bring it to consciousness 
and then be able to teach on it. Oh, definitely so. As a matter of fact, before I left that organization that I spoke of a moment ago, I started training others in how to negotiate better. And I basically told them, first of all, you have to understand what outcome you're seeking. What outcome do you really want? So you set your parameters. Well, I'm going to walk away from a deal if I can't get to, let's say, this point, that being the floor, as it were. And you discuss a ceiling. And now people say, Greg, wait a minute. Why in the world would you think about walking away if you hit the ceiling of your expectations? And the point is, and Corey, you already know this. If by chance you stay engaged in a negotiation longer than you should be, and we'll define what should be is in a moment, you can run the risk of losing what you've already gained. So if hypothetically you're engaged in a deal and you're looking for $100,000 out of that particular negotiation and you're at $900,000, okay, you may start to think, well, there may be a little bit more here, so I'll test it, I'll probe. And based on the strategies you employ, asking questions with questions to get more insight as to what someone is thinking, using the risk reversal strategy to get them to come closer to your offer or proposition. You still have to be mindful of where that person's point of walking away might lie and not cross it. So that that's uh, why you have to be very concerned about where you are in a deal. And in order to fuel a deal more appropriately, you have to understand the negotiation tactics and strategies that you're going to employ. And then the ones you're actually employing while you're engaged in the negotiation. Well, that's great. And listen, I think you know we'll have an opportunity potentially to come back to some of that. What I want to drill into uh, now, though, is uh, the particular area because uh, listen, I, I've um, as you know as, I, as I've shared with you, uh, uh, um, Greg, you know, Greg and I are, are getting to know each other here, and uh, I've just had the pleasure of meeting him recently, and uh, you know, I'm so excited to do it because any of you who know my negotiating work know that there's a lot of things that I teach and train on. But one of the things I always say is that, you know, people ask about reading body language. And I always say there's huge value in that. I believe in that. All right. There's some other things that are taught out there that I'm not a fan of, but I am a big fan of it. And it's something that I don't do. I don't train on that. I always say to people, listen, yeah, take my trainings, but go, you know, learn about how to read body language from people who are experts on that. That's not me. Well, you know what? That's Greg. So I, I, I really want our Fueling Deals podcast listeners to hear about his insights and his mastery and how he trains people and what he looks out for in terms of uh, reading body language. Well, uh, there are seven things, and I'll phrase it in that way for a moment, that are known as microexpressions. Microexpressions occur in less than a quarter of a second. And the, thus, the brain does not have an opportunity to control the emotion that's displayed before that emotion is curtailed. And thus, that emotion at that particular moment in time is genuine. Now, we can go into more about what those microexpressions are. But basically, if you are very astute at detecting those seven emotional displays, you can actually glimpse the insights of someone's mind. Let me give you a quick example. I was on, uh, I was being interviewed on one of the networks and observed her looking at the subject that we were discussing. Uh, her eyes literally just went up for less than a second in this case. And I said to the commentator, did you observe how she was surprised? And he said, well, what did you mean she was surprised? And I said, did you just notice how her eye just lit up 
just for a moment. He said, lit up. I said, yes. It lifted up and went right back into a normal state. They slowed the process down and saw just that. He said, so what does that mean? I said, anytime you see a display of emotion, there's a stimuli that has caused it to occur. If you know what that stimuli is and you should be paying attention, thus, if you would know what it was, you can then hone in more on that particular point. That's what happens a lot of times when people are being interviewed by FBI agents. Agents are actually looking for those micro-expressions, fear, anger, disgust, surprise, contempt, sadness, happiness, uh, are, are the seven micro-expressions. And again, when it comes to other body language gestures, you have to first form a foundation of how that person uses certain gestures before you can more accurately assess to what degree a particular gesture is warranted as being valid. Now, what I mean by that is, even if you're talking to someone in a phone conversation, you can observe the words that they use. You can observe the pace at which they speak and note to what degree that's altered. Now, that's nonverbal communications that you can gather information from someone just based on, like I said a moment ago, how they speak, the words they use, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it gives you insight into the degree of negotiation tactics and strategies you are employing and how valid they actually are. Can we play for a moment real fast? And I'm letting your listeners know that you and I have not rehearsed this at all, Corey. So listeners, stay tuned. Can we play for a moment, Corey? Absolutely. Sure. Oh, okay. Thank you. Okay. I'm going to stop. <laughs> Corey, what did you think and or feel about that dead air for a moment? And I would assess, I would ask your listeners to write into you to actually, uh, or email you or whatever be the case, to let you know what they sensed or thought also. But what did you think or feel at that moment, Corey? Oh, that, that's funny. That's great. So the, the first thing I was like, all right, what's happening? And I felt a little feeling in my stomach. like, uh, and, then I, and then it came, intellectually came to me, oh, wait a second, this is recorded. The editors can adjust for that you know so you know I, I went into a oh yeah don't worry about it. it's not a problem we can edit that out uh you know so yeah but i got this little feeling in my stomach first uh, and then uh, my brain went into solution mode ah see now knowing that about you has given me insight into how you may address a thought process that I invoke if you and I are engaged in a negotiation, which again, which is why my model is, or I should say my mantra is, you're always negotiating. That little bit of insight allowed me to gain a thought process that you would engage in. But at the same time, it also allowed me to show how in a negotiation, anyone can cause the person with whom they're negotiating to feel or sense a certain perspective. For example, you, Corey, you're an excellent negotiator. So you know sometimes silence is a tool that can be used just to solicit more information. And such an underutilized tool, right? Yes, yes, exactly. People, for the most part, do not like silence. And thus, when there is silence, People start to sense things, you know, maybe they may feel it kinesthetically, like you said, in your stomach. They may all of a sudden start hearing things uh, that's in their environment. So they're using their auditory senses at that particular moment in time. They may start to look around for things. If you're in a face-to-face -face negotiation and you see what that person is doing, you gain insight into which senses they're using. 
to solve their problem also, which can give you even greater insight into whether or not you then start speaking to that person from an auditory, from a visual or kinesthetic perspective. You align your thought process with theirs per where it is that you wish to take them in the negotiation. So it's great. You know, it's interesting. So for, for my feeling, uh, uh, feeling deals podcast listeners who know my negotiating work, I want to put a couple of things in context here that Greg is saying, because I often say that too many trainings uh, focus only on tactics and counter tactics. And some of those are manipulative, you know, they're game playing, and some of those are good, but you know, you need to do the preparation and the inner work first. And so there's two things I hear. First of all, some of the stuff that we're talking about now is tactical, right? Silence is a tactic. But these are the tactics that I always refer to that are good, you know, that if you do all the preparation work, the inner work to get yourself in the right state, the right uh, place and the right uh, preparedness, then, you know, these are the great things to use. So that's point one I want to make. The other distinction that I want to make, and this is really going to come in, in, a, in a question, and it'll be interesting to see what Greg says about it, is that I often say that reading body language, I'm a big fan of, like I said earlier, and I don't do it, and you should go get trained in it. And by the way, you should go get trained in it by Greg, because he's phenomenal at it. Um, but the problem that I have with some of the trainings is that they train people while in a negotiation to try to focus on what signals they're giving off, like real time, and try to mask them because, oh, you know, if your eyes go up, they're going to know you're surprised. So focus on your eyes not going up or, you know, or, you know, don't look this way because they're going to tell that, you know, you're, you're not confident in yourself. And the problem that I have with that is, one, I think it's all in the preparation. And two, you know, if you're sitting there during a negotiation worried about what your face is doing, which, by the way, as Greg said in the microfacial expressions, you don't have control of that in, in, in the first place. I think you're in trouble. I think you need to be listening and connected and in your body when you're in a negotiation and, 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 and the, the work is in the prep. Do you agree or disagree with me, Greg? I agree with you wholeheartedly about the prep. And again, you're displaying your excellence per your negotiation abilities with that statement, Corey, because the better prepared you are for any potential situation that might occur in a negotiation, the better you'll be able to handle and address it. And to your point also, if by chance you're not an let's say, oh boy, I don't like to use labels, but let's say you're not an expert negotiator and you're not someone that is very astute at body language gestures and signals. If you fall into those categories, you really do need to be paying more attention to what's going on in the negotiation as opposed to, oh, let me see now. Should I look up to the left right now? Should I look up and to the right or something of that nature, et cetera, et cetera? Because while you're thinking of that, you will be missing other cues that could be putting you into a better position to negotiate. Now, having said that, let me also say I have played all kinds of roles in a negotiation on behalf of clients and high net worth individuals. As an example, I've played the role of uh, someone that has been sitting at the table, Corey, on the other side, taking notes. But in reality, I was watching the body language of the opposing team of negotiators mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. gather who was really the power person in the group, who was giving cues to, well, no, we don't want to go down that path versus, yes, take this particular route. And I've even played the role because I've mastered negotiation and body language of literally being able to concentrate, pay attention to what's going on in the negotiation, 
and give false signals. Now, not micro expressions, because those are signals you cannot fake at all. Well, you can fake them. For example, <gasps> I can act surprised for a moment. Okay, but my right. gosh, you're even laughing because you know that that even sound like it was faked or contrived <laughs> for sure. Exactly. <laughs> but, exactly. Yeah. But but when you're sitting in a negotiation, uh, I, if if someone remember I said you have to establish that baseline of anyone to detect to what degree a body language gesture is valid. So if I look up and to the left, which is in most cases with most people the gesture that they will use to recall something that occurred in the past, and the other negotiator knows that about me or believes that to be true about me. And he asked a question such as, well, Greg, I understand you did a multi-million dollar deal last year and you gave a 30% discount in that deal. I, and let's say that may not be the truth. If I don't want him to sense that, I may actually look up and to the right or to the left anyway to give him the feeling that, well, you know, maybe I'm trying to recall that. And again, I talk about different styles of negotiators also, in addition to talk about negotiators that are truly, uh, that use bullying tactics. But uh, depending upon the negotiator type that I'm dealing with, Corey, I may also not only lead him down a false trail per how he thinks I am based on the role I'm projecting or playing in that particular negotiation. At the same time, I may then wait to see or do so while waiting to see what he will do as a result of thinking I'm the shy, demure type of negotiator, (laughs) you know? So (laughs) I I love negotiations because for me, it's a game. <laughs> Let the games begin. Yeah. And, and, and you know, for me, I, I really feel like it, it, it's also an art, you know, so like a lot of these things where they say, oh, when somebody does this, you do this. Well, no, not, I mean, it's not that simple, right? It's uh, you know, because there's so many options. You know, it's interesting. And I, I, I want to use this example to help you delve in a little further on what you talked about in dealing with the bully. Um, you know, wh- one of the things that I, uh, I always say is, you know, you want to always keep you calm, right? You know, a- any kind of emotion that gets triggered, you we're all human, it happens. But, you know, if you let yourself get triggered and taken away by emotions, then you're, you're at a big disadvantage in the negotiation, right? Because you're not present, you're not listening, you're, you know, you go off your strategy. Um, so, you know, getting angry, for example, is, you know, uh, is something, you know, I always try to stay level. Uh, I was negotiating a big deal on behalf of a client. This is back about, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. And uh, we're, we're at a place we had rented uh, in, in the, for, for the month in Santa Monica, California. And my wife is up, upstairs in, the, in an office and I'm downstairs in this, sort of this balcony you know, area where she can see down. And she hears me raise my voice, right, on this phone call. And I saw her come to the edge and look over at me, right, like with this expression on her face, like he doesn't get mad in a deal negotiation. Like what's going on, right? And then she sort of looked at me and she saw that I had no emotion in it, right? And what had happened was, and then she was sort of nodded her head and she went back in and she knew I was fine. What had happened was I was dealing with a, with a guy who was a big time bully. I mean, he was, and he was, and, 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 and I knew that he couldn't hear me if I didn't raise to his level. It's not my preferred way of doing things. It's not, it, there was no emotion in it for me. But if I knew if I didn't raise my voice, he would not even be able to hear me. And I sort of needed to level the playing field or else he would just bulldoze over everybody. So, you know, that was a choice I made. Um, um, so I'm curious, uh, I mean, that's, and that's just one example. I just knew that that's what was needed in that scenario. So I'd love to hear some more of the ways that you deal with, you know, with bullies uh, in a negotiation. Well, first of all, I want to tag right off of what you just said about controlling 
your emotions. Even when they are contrived, you still need to be in control of your emotions because real emotions can hijack the brain and cause you not to think as cohesively as you should or would want to if you weren't emotionally distressed at a particular point in time. So yes, always control your emotions. Per dealing with bullies, I categorize bullies into three different phases or aspects. There's the hard-nosed bully, there's the mid-middle-level bully, and there's the, I call them a junior bully or bully-in-waiting or something of that nature. <laughs> and, and let's take them in order. Uh, well, let's, let's use reverse order. The, the beginning bully is someone that will do certain things to show his mettle based on the environment that he's in and or who is pushing him from behind. And that person that's pushing him from behind in a negotiation may not even be sitting at the negotiation table, which is why it's always very prudent to understand with whom you're negotiating, even if they're not at the negotiation table. With that beginner type bully, though, you can usually cause him to expose himself by literally just seeing how long he wants to keep that, that ruse up, as it were, and then test him. Like you said, with him, you raise your voice, and maybe you only raise it to meet his level, uh, just to see what he'll do with it. And if he backs down, okay, you know that this guy is just testing you. Let's look at the mid-level bully. That's someone that has usually migrated from that entry level up to that mid-level because he has discovered that there are some tactics, bullying tactics, you know, you take this or leave it. Uh, and notice how I said that, you take this or leave it. And he's testing you, but he's gained success from using that tactic, or he will try to railroad you just to see what you'll do. If you allow him to, he'll continue. The hard-nosed bully, he's usually the one that has the attitude of, the only way I can win is if I make you lose. Now, that can be someone that uh, can be difficult to deal with because depending upon his overall demeanor, I have lots of resources. And therefore, little person, you know, either you can come aboard or you can get run over type of thing. Uh, well, he who fights, he, he what, what's the cliche, Corey? He who fights and runs away lives to fight another day. You have to know how to pick your battles with that hard-nosed bully. And sometimes you can use leverage, the leverage of whatever he fears the most against him in order to combat him and then overcome him. But you always have to know what type of bully you are dealing with. And you, first of all, it goes back to what you said earlier. It's the prep. You find out as much as you possibly can about that other entity before you ever enter into what some would call the official negotiation. But again, I go back to my motto, you're always negotiating, which means even if you're in an environment that person is in, you can be capturing information, insight about how that person acts in that particular environment and how he interacts with those in the environment. Does that person that normally has a bullying demeanor kowtow to someone that he sees as being more prestigious, that he sees as possibly being a bigger bully. If that's the case, to what degree might you be able to take that bigger bully, make that bigger bully your ally, 
and use it as a threat against the person that's trying to bully you. There are all kinds of maneuvers, and I talk about some of that um, in um, actually my latest book, but we'll talk about that later on. Yeah, so so let's, let's tie that into a topic that I know you talk about, I talk about, uh, you know, uh, which is the conversation of winning, right? And, uh, and, and, you know, a lot of bullies, I find, you know, that there's an ego thing. They need to feel like they've won. And frankly, you can use, you can have, you can use tactics to have them feel like they won and get everything you want. And, and, you know, you know, it's a great way to do it. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, obviously with, with the work of, uh, some of the folks at, at Harvard that, you know, and William Murray, you know, and all those other guys, you know, many, many years ago, right. Uh, this concept moved from win, win, lose to win, win, right. You know, you should be able to win, win negotiation. And, and now, frankly, I think that's become cliche-ish. Not, not, that not that the underlying work on it is brilliant, but, you know, people say they want to be, oh, we all want to win-win, and they, then they go to tear your throat out, right? So it's, it's <laughs> people say and don't do. And, uh, and, you know, and in my book, I talk about how uh, I think uh, I move away from the concept of winning only because, uh, and it's somewhat semantical, but only because it's, you know, winning often engages the ego, and I really talk about achieving your objectives, right? Because you can have, you can have somebody feel like they've won, but as long as I've achieved my objectives or my client's objectives, I don't care how you feel. I got everything I needed. So um, I'd love you to talk about the concept of winning. And then also, like, what are some of the signals going back to your expertise in body language and reading facial expressions? Uh, you know, what, how do you what are some of the I mean, some of those people make it very clear that they need to win. But what's some of the early signals that you can read when you have somebody that has that need to win? Well, it goes back again to the prep, as you stated earlier on and in the prep. You define what a winning scenario is, not only for yourself, but for the other entity. What is it that they really want? And you try to assess that to the degree of accuracy that you best possibly can, because then you know exactly what you are trying to allow that person to have in order to walk away with a smile on his or her face. Now, let's say you're, let's say you do have that information and you're engaged in the negotiation. Some of the signals you would be looking for, and again, Corey, you're, you're astute, so you know this already, would be to what degree do they actually lean in when you make an offer, move away from you, but that can be uh, contrived also. So you follow that up with other signals. So let me make sure I understand this. If we can come to an agreement today and we can decide that uh, we'll conclude this at a million dollars, you'll be satisfied with that, correct? Meanwhile, you're nodding your head also, Corey, to add additional value body language to the question that you're asking. Notice I also prefaced it with the if statement, because if the person says, well, yes, we can come to um, an amicable conclusion, uh, but I'd also have to have yada, 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 yada. Uh, you know, the if statement prefaced your offer with, well, there's no deal at that particular time. But nevertheless, you define what that winning situation scenario is for him, and you test it. Now, you don't test it by waiting until you get to the end of the negotiation at let's say the beginning phase let's say the the middle the the end of the beginning phase of the negotiation you say something along the lines of you know now we've been talking for a, a short period of time just so i'm clear uh, exactly what is a a winning outcome for you or what is it that you really want to seek now here's the important part Corey. use words that he would use that would indicate how he feels about that particular uh, outcome. 
that's one of those neurolinguistic type of things. But nevertheless, I employed it in a negotiation. So if he sa- if he says, well, the uh, a winning situation for me would be if we could conclude this million dollar deal. Okay, now he's giving you what his value proposition is for the negotiation and his paradigm is if you can conclude it at a million dollars okay that's a winning deal situation so now you've at least had him pronounce that now here's something else in the negotiation people love to be true to whatever thoughts that they have made thus far so now you've you've locked him in psychologically to something that he says he's looking for and then you test him so if we can uh, conclude this deal successfully at a million dollars, what else might there be in the form of a stumbling block? Now, the reason you're testing him in that case is to find out if he's going to come out of the closet with any what I call little uh, add-ons, you know, snippets. You know, okay, we got a deal. Hey, where everybody's happy walking right. Oh, wait a minute, dog. I forgot to ask you one more thing. Can we add this to that? Well, wait a minute. I thought we had a deal. No, okay. We're going to nip that in the bud. We're not even going there type of thing at all. So, so you keep making sure that you uh, ratchet down this guy's expectations for what a winning outcome is for him. And then you attempt to give it to him. Here's something else, Corey. Observe how he responds. Okay. He says in one particular situation, well, if we can conclude this, if we can reach a million-dollar agreement, we got a deal. Okay. He says it in that manner. The other way he says it, well, if we can reach a million-dollar agreement, we have a deal. Now, Corey, Again, you're astute. You heard the difference between those responses. You know with that latter response, you still have work to do before you even try to close that deal. So those are some of the nuances that you should be paying attention to. Oh, that's great. Listen, Greg, if if, if you and I didn't have other things to do uh, and uh, and we we could stay here till midnight and do another 12 hours on this and anybody would listen to it for that long, we, we, we could talk about this forever with the amount of material we can go through with your expertise and, and our love for negotiating. But I think, uh, you know, we do have to come to a conclusion. So I'm going to, uh, before I ask you my final question, uh, please, I know people got huge, huge value from you. And you have so many results out there, resources out there between your books and websites and what you do. Uh, please let people know how they can reach you and where they can find you. Well, thank you, Corey. Uh, they can reach me via email at greg, and that's G-R-E-G, at the, T-H-G, master, M-A-S-T-E-R, negotiator. N-E-G-O-T-I-A-T-O-R dot com. They can also reach me via phone at 609-369-2100. Or please feel free to visit my website, which is www.themasternegotiator.com. So that's awesome. And folks, all of that, if you missed that, it's going to be in the show notes. So you can you can pick it up there and, you know, definitely check out uh, Greg's material. His website is great. And you can, you know, find out about his books. And, uh, you know, I, I really recommend you checking out his work. Um, so, Greg, last question for you before we close out here. Uh, one of the things, one of my highest values that I put a lot of, uh, you know, emphasis on is authenticity. And for me, authenticity is something different than morality or integrity, although, you know, integrity is important. Authenticity is about being self-aware, connected to your inner truth and making your business decisions, your deal decisions, and your negotiating approach come from there. There's no accident my book is, is titled Authentic Negotiating. Um, so I, I, I'm curious as to what authenticity means to you, and more particularly, how you, in your business and in a negotiation, 
uh, make sure that you're in an authentic place because it's so easy to get thrown off, right? It's so easy for people to go down the wrong road. And I think, um, you know, it's not about external factors, right? It's about what do we want, truly want inside? So how do you make sure you stay aligned with that? Well, first of all, Corey, thank you for the interview today. I love dispersing information to people. That is something that I am very authentic about. And when it comes to authenticity, the one thing that I must say is, for me, I don't allow people to get under my skin. I always say people will only do to you that which you allowed them to. So someone can tell me, you are the worst negotiator in the world. I never uh, listen to a word you say, nor would I ever try to implement it, yada, yada, yada. To that person, I would say, thank you for your feedback. And <laughs> the person would go, huh? You know, or something <laughs> of that nature. But the point is, you are in control of yourself. And thus, I just, I love giving people stuff. I give stuff away for free. I speak around the world. I, I donate money. I, I just, that's, that's me. But you have to be yourself. And to the degree that you feel comfortable in your own skin, you will be. Until you don't, you'll be the chameleon that you may be in order to become what it is that you wish to be. Mm, I love that. I love that. Greg, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Corey, for having me. And thank you, Fueling Deals listeners, for tuning in. Remember, there's only one difference between companies that grow inorganically and those that don't. And it's unrelated to size, amount of capital, or any other factor. Other than that, the owners and executives of companies that do deals make a decision to do deals. And then they take action. It's time to refuel. So until next week, Corey Kupfer signing out. Thank you again for tuning in. Be sure to leave Fueling Deals a rating and review on iTunes and Google. Check out all our episodes at fuelingdeals.com to find out more resources to accelerate your business growth.